Get back out there. Get back out there. And because I feared him more than I feared the 300-pound adversary out there on the field or death itself, well, I got back out there. This is yet another saga in the um, pitiful archives of my days in uniform, that is, athletic uniforms of every size and color and shape. On this particular occasion, uh, Kay was coming to see me play college football for the first and only time. Thank God. I was a freshman, but I was scheduled to start that day against the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. And uh, because Kay was in the stands, I raced out there like Achilles pursuing Hector. <laughs> The end of the story was not quite so epic, but um, that was the beginning. Uh, from the at the first play from scrimmage, uh, a 300-pound Arkansan tackle grabbed me by the face mask. He lifted me up. He slugged me, and the lights went out. I woke up, well, over by the medical tent. And coming to myself, I was feeling, well, quite contented to be over there. And so I took one knee there amongst the reserves, very happy to watch the game from that perspective. About that time, it was the second quarter, uh, head coach Warren Woodson looked down the sideline. Warren Woodson, the man whom smiles forgot. <laughs> And he looked down, and he looked, and he peered at me, and he goes, uh, Number 86. Uh, number 86. He did not use my name one time from the moment I got to campus. Number 86, what in the Sam Hill are you doing on the sidelines? Get back out there. <laughs> This was obviously in the days that coaches didn't care about head injuries. <laughs> so I went back out there, and I can assure you in three, uh, three quarters, there was nothing in my play that made the highlight films. But I did survive to see Kay another day. It's curious how this story came roaring back to me when I read the rather humorous tale about Jesus healing uh, Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, it takes up only two verses, two measly verses, but it goes something like this. Uh, uh, Pete and Andrew, you know, bring, uh, bring Jesus home. He sees that the, the mother-in-law is inert and burning up with a fever. He touches her, grabs her by the hand, pulls her up, and the fever leaves her, and she starts serving them. I mean, it strikes me like, woman, what are you doing laying around? These boys are hungry. Get up and cook them some supper, you know? <laughs> and it would be just another, it would just be yet another humorous interlude in many uh, serious and humorous interludes in the scripture, if that's what the scripture was. But the truth is, the Bible is not just a collection of stories and poems and letters and prophecies and histories. The scripture, the Holy Scripture, is a concerted whole. And the whole body of the Bible 
is to, is to invite us in to communion and life with Jesus Christ. It all comes together to do that. And it's fun to laugh with it, but it's all directing us that way. One of my favorite uh, Bible uh, interpreters, uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, says, everything in the Bible is livable. It was put there so that we may live in, in concert with Jesus Christ. We may live a different way. I mean, if that were not the case, why would Christians from the very beginning be called the people of the way? Did you know that? And the very first title we had was the people of the way. And you see that in Acts 9-2. Uh, uh, on that occasion, Saul, who will later be Paul, this is long before he was very sainted. In fact, he's a bounty hunter at this point. He's been hired by the authorities to go up and round up people of the way so they could be incarcerated or executed like, well, like Stephen. Now, let's just, let's just think about this for a minute. If those first Christians, if those people of the way were just kind of sitting around, kind of meditating on the philosophy of Jesus, you know, and thinking, oh my goodness, isn't it great to be tight, tight with Jesus? You know, isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Uh, pass me some more incense. Um, then why would the authorities have bothered with them at all? No, the people of the way were living a distinctive, in a distinctive manner that got the authorities' attention. They were coming after them. They were living counterculturally. They were making a splash. And the authorities were going to have none of it. None of it. We're going to round them up, and we're going to put them away, or we're going to kill them. The people of the way. And so looked at in that particular perspective, from that perspective, we begin to see the story of the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in another way. The story is not written about Peter's mother-in-law. It's written to you and to me. It is clearly a story directed at you and me for the transformation of our lives. Let's look at it. Let's look at it that way, okay? Jesus sees, sees us as we are. Jesus sees us as we are. He walks in, he sees Pete's mother-in-law, and she is sick. Jesus sees you and me, and he knows that we're sick before we know that we're sick. He knows that we're sick before we know that we're sick. I mean, think about the 10th chapter of Mark when the rich young man comes running up to Jesus, you know. Uh, he, is he is a man completely put together. Not only has he, he, has he been scrupulous about keeping the commandments and going to worship, the people all around him probably say, isn't he, now he's really a good boy. He's a fine boy. But Jesus looks at him and knows that he's sick. He says, look, you've got all this wealth, all this stuff, all these impediments between you and me. You cannot be in communion with me as long as you are buffered this way. And he says, you're going to have to make a change. 
You're not well. And that's the same thing when he looks at you and me. Perhaps, perhaps he looks at, at one of us and he sees festering anger. There's lots of that going around. Would you say there's lots of that going around in America right now? A lot of festering anger? He sees that. That is a sickness that will keep us from communion with him. Or maybe he looks at us and there's closeted addictions. Things that you think no one else knows. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Nothing secret from him. And by the way, it won't be secret from everybody else before long. Or maybe, maybe, we have, uh, maybe we have distorting prejudice. That we're having a hard time. I'm not just talking about people different colors and stuff. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about people in your family too. Things that are keeping you from communion with the Lord. The Lord sees us as we are. And a lot of times, He sees us and knows there needs to be a renovation project. Next, uh, Jesus touches us and loves us as we are. Jesus touches us and loves us as we are. He comes in and touches Peter's mother-in-law because he loves her. You know, I think, uh, as I think about this, I uh, often uh, think about um, uh, Jesus as he reveals the love of God in the parable of the prodigal son. There is nothing redemptive about the prodigal son. He is pitiful, self-centered, conniving, destructive, and yet the father runs out and embraces him. Right? That's how the story goes. That's what Jesus does to you and me. He comes out and he touches us because he loves us the way we are. Jesus is not waiting around to just love those who are paragons of virtue. He'd be waiting a very long time. He loves, he loves the shoplifter. He loves the abuser. He loves the tyrannical parent. He loves the snot-nosed kid who's never grateful. He loves the scammer. He loves, he loves the gambling addict. He loves us all. But then Jesus takes our hand and raises us up because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Now, this is key. This is key. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff going around in the United States. You know, I'm just fine the way I am. Well, no, you're not. Don't tell you. The whole gospel's about transformation. Just as I am, yeah. But the Lord comes and changes, changes the furniture around in the living room. So Jesus takes us by the hand and lifts us up into new life, just as he does with Peter's mother. He takes her hand and he lifts her up. The resurrection is now, folks. Did you know that? That's, what, that's part of what Jesus means when he, when he talks about the kingdom. The kingdom is already here. The resurrection has started. And when he takes your hand and lifts you up out of the junk in which you've been living, there is new life. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That's what we're all looking for. If we weren't looking for that, we'd be back home in front of the TV watching, you know, CBS Sunday morning and drinking expensive coffee. Dead, we're shivering out here. 
You know, good for you. Gold star for you. Uh, uh, when I uh, when I think about this, and this is important that we realize that the Lord wants to raise us. You know, in the fifth chapter, John, I believe it is. Um, that Jesus is walking by the pool of Siloam, and he comes, he comes across a man who has been laying there crippled for 38 years. Do you remember what Jesus asked him? Do you want to get well? <laughs> I mean, we can become so accustomed to our maladies, we can become so identified with those things that hold us back, that that's where we want to live. Christ does not want us to live there. That's not home. That's a fake home. Do you want to get well? Well, nobody, nobody will move me when it's time. I just don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus says, get up and walk, dadgummit. And Jesus is the one who invented dadgummit. That's one of his favorite words, you know. You know. Get up. That's what he's saying to you and to me. There's new life. There's new life. No one is stuck. No one in the kingdom of God is stuck. No one. No. Especially not you, Elizabeth. <clears throat> finally, <laughs> finally, the, uh, the Lord sends us back out there. I mean, think about it. He lifts up Peter's mother. I just love that, you know. Gets her up. Fever's gone. Okay, go get busy, would you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, doesn't work in my house that way. But anyway, <laughs> get up. And uh, that's what he does with us. Um, you know, most of us, when the Lord raises us to new life and we get back out there, we're probably not going to be in the front page of the paper. We're not going to be the darlings of social media. But we'll begin to live a life of self-giving and meaning. That's, that's one of those pearls beyond price, to live a life of meaning. Give ourselves away in some, in some manner, which which is unique to each one of us. We're all unique. I mean, you know, one size not fit all. It's glorious. We get out there, we begin to serve. I was thinking about, I thought Brian Keeler did a great job last week teaching about, about uh, it from the Gospel of Mark. And at one point, he, tells, he told the story about the, the uh, demoniac who is on the, uh, up in the pagan area of uh, north, in the north part of the Sea of Galilee, and he's, He's so, he's so possessed, they have to chain him to the tombs, you know? He has to be chained to the, to the tombstones because he's, he's, so, he, he's so out of control. And the Lord touches him, and he gets a life. The demons leave him. Okay, the demons leave him. And when the, when the townspeople come out, they see the man sitting beside Jesus in his right mind, and he's, he's peaceful and everything's great. And he says to Jesus, he says, he says can I just go with you? I, I just, I just want to go with you, Jesus. Remember what the Lord says? Brian told us last week. He, the Lord says, no, 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 no. You get on out there, and you tell people all up in, up in those ten or so towns up here what the Lord has done for you. You go do that. And so he does. And he's sending us back out there too. See? He's sending us back out. And it's not bad news, folks. It's great news. 
There's a lot of waiting going on around American Christians right now. I want to wait. I want to wait till we get back in the church and then I'll start doing something. I want to wait till all the masks come off. I've, the Lord's been waiting for the masks to come off for a long time. Okay? <laughs> Folks, there's no waiting. And I think the most heroic thing I've experienced at Christ Church in the last 12 months or last week standing right here to have two people in their, in their mid-80s get married. You know what they said to me? They said, we can't wait. <laughs> and I thought, this is a prophecy. Nobody can wait. Nobody can wait to give their love away. There's no waiting. There's no waiting. So, in the words of that uber-friendly coach, it's time to get back out there.